If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 42. And today, just three verses from Psalm 42, verses 9 through 11. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. So far the reading of His Word. Just a few weeks ago, on September 25th, in Somalia, the militant group Al-Shabaab somehow connected to Al-Qaeda, that is, resolute in its commitment to eradicate Christianity from Somalia, found a young 17-year-old boy, Guled Jama Mukhtar, of a Christian family. And after his parents left for work at 6 a.m., and as he prepared for school, The militants rushed his house, and the neighbors reported they heard heard screaming until suddenly it stopped. And Mukhtar's head was severed from his body, and the militants left. His parents were notified. They rushed back. They buried his body there in the yard and then fled for their lives. And the source that reported this to the voice of the martyr said, this family came from Kenya, a Christian family. And yes, they held secret studies of the Bible in their homes, and they were discovered. This Al-Shabaab group, these people are masters at suicide bombs, at slaughtering civilians in order to create terror imposing a strict version of Sharia law in the area where it controls. These sorts of alarming reports, my friends, come from North Korea, from Myanmar or Burma. They come from Malaysia or Indonesia. They come from Yemen or Saudi Arabia. They come from China. They come from pockets of Nigeria. And the video that was given to us by the voice of the martyrs displays just a hint of the terrible persecution of dear brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. I don't think there are many churches on Long Island that today are, are remembering this, though the call goes out. I'm proud of our elders. I'm proud of our congregation that is willing to think and pray about this. I know somebody's here and you're saying, Pastor, I came to church to be encouraged to have my needs met and to be lifted up. And I appreciate that. 
Because there's so much blessing to enjoy and celebrate in the Christian life. And yet, our Lord Jesus said that in the midst of all the blessings that we enjoy and experience as Christians, that persecution is a fact of life. It is an expected part and parcel of the Christian life. Jesus said, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, that young man that he loved, Pastor Timothy. He said, Pastor Timothy, you have this church. I need to tell you something, Timothy. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, Paul goes on, as he must by now be an old man, and he is near the end of his life after a lifetime, a ministry of persecution. And he says, but nonetheless, don't forget the ultimate reward, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, I have fought the good fight. Do you remember this verse? I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Peter warned the church, be alert, be self-controlled. Why? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And many times, I think, I have illustrated in sermons from the book Jesus Freaks, uh, which is written by DC Talk, compiling modern stories of martyrs who have been killed for their faith. Or I've referenced the great Fox's Book of Martyrs that has gone through the centuries and and, and, uh, captured for us the stories of men and women and children who have given their lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. In our own culture, the persecution tends to be more subtle. Oh, I'm grateful for the founding fathers of America who have instituted in the Constitution the right to assembly, the freedom to worship, the freedom of speech, and and we are blessed to live here. And we would hope that, that these same rights would be exported around the world. This would be good and not bad. We are in many ways protected from the fist of the devil. And yet, even in the land where we live, I read reports. It's interesting, out of Southern California in Orange County these days, there are bureaucrats. And these bureaucrats have begun to levy hefty fines on people who have Bible studies in their homes because of some ordinance about parking violations. And and these people, they live in these expansive California communities where there's tons of parking on the street, and uh, and they would never dream of saying, you have to get a $500 permit to a book club or for a birthday party. 
But now people are having to go to court to defend their right to meet for home Bible studies like our home fellowship groups that are, are listed in your, in your bulletins. Strange. Here in America? And in Canada and in Sweden already, pastors who are preaching through the book of Romans are now imprisoned for hate speech because they preach what the Bible teaches about certain things that are deemed politically incorrect in our world. Daniel in the lion's den. Children, you've learned the story of Daniel, the great prophet. Jesus said, like the prophets. And because he would not kowtow to the politically correct ideals of his day, and he refused to bend the knee to anyone except the Lord his God, he was thrown into the den of lions to be torn apart. And yet, he trusted in his God. Stephen, the first martyr, Have you read the story in the book of Acts? It's one not to rush through. If you do a Bible reading, you get to Acts chapter 7, you say, oh, this is like the longest chapter in the whole Bible, and you're tempted to read through Acts 7 way too quickly. And this is the story of this young man who stands, his face is shining with the radiance of the Lord, like the the Shekinah glory of God somehow emanates through him. And with beauty and glory, he preaches the gospel only to cause his persecutors to become even more furious. And they pick up stones and they stone him to death, but he dies full of joy. How do you feel when you are persecuted? Where does the Bible authorize a voice for those who are being mocked and crushed and hurt? Oh, friends, don't you love the Psalms? I love the Psalms. I'm glad we're studying through the Psalms together as a church family because the Psalms give us the voice. What do we call it? We call it holy eavesdropping on the heart of those who love the Lord. And what we are empowered to say and to cry, whether you're just depressed And many of us go through periods of depression and darkness in our soul. Or whether you are persecuted and suffering. Psalm 42, Psalm 43. In fact, half of the Psalms are what we call lament Psalms. These are unique, a unique genre of Psalms that that just give us permission to cry out to God about our suffering and to comfort us in our heartache, in our despair. And I love the way Psalm 42 gives us a voice, and it gives the persecuted Christian a voice. When? When do you turn to Psalm 42, verse 9, and some of the others? When you feel forgotten by God. Is there anybody here in this room that in a moment of darkness, in a moment of despair, you felt so alone, you even wondered if the Almighty had forgotten you? And maybe you feel a little embarrassed to admit it because you're in church. But here we are given permission to be honest about that terrible feeling that God has gone on vacation, that God has gone to lunch, and He's forgotten about us. 
When do you turn to Psalm 42? When you feel oppressed by your enemies. Verse 9, why must I go about in mourning oppressed by the enemy? And you see, here's what happens. When you are oppressed by the enemy, it's as though you're boxed in on every side. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a solution-oriented kind of guy. I'm a, okay, what do we have to do to fix this kind of person? And you throw a hand grenade into my foxhole, and you know what I'll do? I'll go over and pick it up, and I'll throw it back at you. Because that's what you do to solve the problem. But you see, when you are oppressed by the enemy, when you come to that time when there's no way out, and you go this way, and there's no escape, and you go this way, and there's no escape, and you can't dig down, and you can't climb up. And it's a terrible feeling. It's the worst feeling in the world. And the oppressor cuts you off at every path. You turn to verse 9. And you tell the Lord. What about when you suffer physical assault for your faith? I've, I've been punched and spit on for my faith. I've never been beaten. I've never been knocked out. But I know what it is to be rushed, to be humiliated. What do you do? He says, my bones hurt, physical pain. The man in the video, probably from North Korea or Vietnam, we don't know which, the man was weeping as he recalled the beatings, the beatings. You see, they didn't kill him. Maybe he would rather they had killed him. But the beatings, they beat us. And then they beat us some more. What do you cry out? In Pakistan, where... They bomb churches in the worship services. My one friend who was actually there in the room a few years ago in that terrible bombing that killed so many. What do you say? And then those who mock and challenge your faith. My foes taunt me all day long, saying, where is your God? And the atheists in our cultural elite here in America, those on HBO and those who write in the magazines and those who teach in the universities, and they mock, they mock the Christian and the student. Your children go off to college, and if we're not careful to equip them, they are totally unprepared for the onslaught of unbelief and mockery that will come upon them. And studies are done, studies are done of the effect of this mockery on the faith of young men and women. And we feel downcast and disturbed, verse 11. Can you honestly tell God, I'm just down. I am disturbed. I'm off balance now, Lord, because of my circumstances. Can you tell God? What's the answer? The answer is yes. I give you permission to be honest with God. What could be worse than Christians who are dishonest with God? And yet sometimes I fear we, the church, are guilty of somehow communicating to people that you have to pretend that you've got it all together. We talked about this in our membership orientation class this morning. 
One of the core values of our church, hear it again, one of the core values of our church is that we minister from weakness. Oh, I know, that doesn't play well on the North Shore of Long Island. North Shore of Long Island, never let them see you sweat, you see. But Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. I delight in my weakness. Why? So that Christ may be shown forth in me, that Christ may be seen in me. So don't buy the cultural lie. Be honest. Be honest with God. Be honest with your elders. Be honest with your small group leader. Be honest with your pastor. Be honest with your friends here. We are here together to be honest. And if Martin says, stand and sing with joy, and you feel like sitting and crying, then you sit and cry. Hopefully, somebody will come and put their arm around you and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Or can I cry with you? Could the North Shore Community Church be that kind of family? I trust we already are in many wonderful ways. It's one of the things I love about you. But we minister from weakness. We minister honestly. One of the goals of the Psalms are to teach us how to struggle honestly. The dirty little secret of Christianity is that you are free to be honest, okay? Despair is disabling. Earlier in verse 3, we didn't look at this, he says, day and night my tears are my only food. What's the purpose of these struggles which seem to be a normal part of our life with Christ? Listen carefully. The purpose of our struggles are to strip away the self that so deceives us about God. The purpose of our struggles is to strip away the self to allow us to become more like Christ. What did John the Baptist say? He must increase. I must decrease. Look, in Christianity, there is both a resurrection side, but there's also a dying side. I love the resurrection part of Christianity. I love the new life. I love the joy. I love the hope. I love the eternal life that is ours. I love the fellowship. I love the love. But the Bible also says there is a death side to Christianity, to our relationship with the Lord. I die to self, my reputation. I die to my reputation. I die to my own comfort. I die to my own glory. I decrease so that He may increase in me and Christ is formed in you. What is the purpose of these struggles? Listen, verses, hear these verses, Philippians 3.10. Some of you ladies in ladies' Bible study were studying Philippians 3, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. This is not a verse about becoming a Christian. This is a verse about being a Christian, okay? Being a Christian is being conformed to His death. And our friends that we saw, our brothers and sisters that we saw in that video, or maybe years ahead of us, we who live in relative comfort and freedom, but they are being conformed to Christ even in His death. 
and it's painful, and we pray for them, and we suffer with them, but they, they know how to live this. They are living this. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And of course, as you read verses 9, 10, and 11 of Psalm 42, you see that Jesus Christ lived all of these things. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that if you don't listen to anything else, bring down the screensaver for this one. When you feel forgotten, why have you forgotten me, O Lord? You must remember Jesus saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. When you are oppressed by your enemies, you have to remember what we studied last week about the ascension of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Father has placed Him in authority over every principality and ruler of this world, and He will rule until all His enemies are under His feet. And though your enemies may oppress you, they are and will be under the feet of Jesus Christ. And when you are physically assaulted for your faith, you must remember what Paul said. He said, the outer man is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed day by day in Christ. Yes, when your body is assaulted for your faith, and they say, we will take your life from you, what do you say? You say, sorry, you can't take my life from me. I've already given it to another. I have given it to Jesus Christ. That's why Wesley said, let men and devils do their worst. You see? And when you are mocked and your reputation is sullied and people raise the eyebrow or shake their fist at you, what do you say? You say, my reputation is in Christ. My reputation is as a child of God. I am known as Christian. I am known as a daughter of the King. I am known as a son of the King. I belong to Him. And when you are down, downcast, why so downcast, O oh, my soul? You say, I will seek the joy of the Lord to be my strength. Because look, Look at how this psalm ends, verse 11, the last verse. Forgotten, alone, beaten up, uh, mocked, humiliated, and then he says this, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And because our Savior, Jesus Christ, has overcome the grave, because He has overcome the world, though He was mocked, he was beaten. He was killed. Death could not hold him. He rose from the grave. And because of that, we say from this side, verse 11 means so much to us. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. And we are not left to despair. It's very interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 4 or verse 8 through 18. Let me just listen to a few of these phrases. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, 
but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And down in verse 13, with the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Listen to this. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. And that's what he calls them. This is the guy who was beaten up, left to die, humiliated, betrayed. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know the story of Jim Elliot, the great missionary to the Aka Indians in South America? A cruel and vicious tribe. And he and his companions went to preach the gospel to them at risk of their life and at the loss of their life. And they were killed for their faith. And what did Jim Elliot's widow do? She went back to the Aka Indians in order to forgive them and to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the great quote from Jim Elliot, it's in your bulletin in the reflection today. Elliot said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That is amazing. The world says you're a fool to give up your comfort and your peace and your reputation for Jesus. He says, oh no. No, you are a fool. Um, You are no fool if you give up what you cannot keep. You cannot keep your reputation. You cannot keep your riches. You cannot keep all your trophies and awards. You cannot keep them. Why? Because death is coming. But you will gain what you cannot lose, eternity with Jesus Christ. And so our God is the God of hope. And He is telling us in Psalm 42, verse 11, that ultimately, listen carefully, we do not evaluate God by our circumstances. But instead, North Shore Community Church, we learn to evaluate our circumstances by what we know to be true about God. This is one of the keys to maturity, to Christian maturity. So listen again. We do not evaluate God by our circumstances. But we learn to evaluate our circumstances by what we know to be true about God. Yeah, I might feel forgotten. I might be be beaten. I might be mocked and humiliated. But I know this. He is my Savior and my God. That's what he says at the end. He makes it very personal. It's very personal. It's for you. This is a gift to you. Verse 11. The end of verse 11 is a gift to you. He says, my Savior and my God. And so today, do you say, my Savior and my God? And when, as Lisa sang those words to us, when friends betray you, when all seems so dark, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds this heart that this is not, this is not our home. Because our God is the God of hope. He is the God of hope who gives joy and peace to those who trust in Him.
And we say Psalm 34, verse 1. It's become a theme verse for so many of us as we've studied the Psalms. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. Will, it will, it will. His praise will continually be on my lips. And the therapeutic power of praise comes to your soul. And you who are downcasts, begin to put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. In stress. I'll just lighten up for just a moment here. I remember when I was a teenager or a young man, it was the ninth inning of the World Series. The tension was high. The last game, and Oral Hirschheiser pitching for the Dodgers is in the dugout waiting to go out, close out the game. Oral Hirschheiser is standing in the dugout with his head back. What stress? Those of you who know baseball know that it could not be more stressful. His head is back and his lips are moving. And Bob Costas says, uh, makes note of it, and after the game, he asks Hirschheiser, what were you saying to yourself? And Hirschheiser said, I wasn't saying anything. I was singing The next night, he's on with Johnny Carson, the next night on The Tonight Show. Johnny Carson said, you had your head back, and you were saying something. And he said, I wasn't saying something, I was singing something, which he said was the worst mistake of my life, because Carson says, oh, will you sing it for us? Hirschheiser says, oh, no, no, I don't sing. I I don't ever sing in public. And And the crowd says, come on. They start clapping and cheering, sing for us. Johnny says, do you want Oral to sing for you what he was singing in the dugout before he went out to close the game? And the crowd cheers. So Hirschheiser takes a deep breath, and he remembers that most stressful moment. And he sings, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I will yet praise Him my Savior, and my God. That's amazing. When you are in stress, you remember Oral Hirschheiser in the dugout, and you sing those words, I will yet praise Him, my Savior, and my God. You are no fool to give up what you cannot keep, to gain what you cannot lose. You are willing to lose your reputation or your life for Jesus Christ. I know you are. I know you are because you have the Holy Spirit within you. Now, we will stand with the persecuted church. I gave you this little outline that you can take and you can use to pray this week, to pray for the Sudan, to pray for North Korea, to pray for Vietnam, to pray for Saudi Arabia, to pray for Yemen, to pray for Nigeria, to pray... And these are just verses of Scripture, and you can attach these tribes and these nations to them. You can speak. You can speak to your congressman, your congresswoman, 
You can speak to the Secretary of State. We are coming to, to great challenges before the church, I will, uh, before the world. I will tell you very soon. I, I, I just need to tell you, there, there is a major colloquium happening with the Muslim world coming to the United Nations or one of their sponsored, um, one of their sponsored conferences in order to talk about freedom of religion. But what is coming, what is on the, what is on the docket is to speak against hate speech. Now, who, is, who could oppose anything that is against hate speech? Wouldn't that be nice to be against hate speech? But you see, in the Muslim world, hate speech is anything that would deny Muhammad as the ultimate prophet. And if anyone should dare to say Jesus is Lord, they will be guilty of blasphemy and the crime of hate speech throughout the Muslim world. And so Voice of the Martyrs and other Christian organizations are crying out to our Secretary of State, be careful, be careful how you go. You could let your voice be heard. Go research this on the internet and if you're moved, you go ahead and tell Peter King or your Mr. Israel or your Congress people, your senators, and you let them know that we must be cautious to preserve the freedom of speech and religion wherever we send our billions of foreign aid dollars. Right now we give billions of dollars to Egypt where right now the church is being hammered. Let us be careful. Let us say, yes, of course there are strings attached to our foreign aid. We're giving this money for civilization, not for persecution. So whatever it is, what stirs you? I don't know what stirs you because you have your own to follow your conscience. You be ready to stand and you call those who are in power to protect those who are being persecuted and will speak up for the defenseless. Well, that just came out. Listen, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We come now to the Lord's table and I ask you to Bow your heads now and pray with me. O Lord, our God, O Lord, our God, we come humbly to you now. And we ask you to feed us and to nourish and nurture our souls. Maybe some here today are being persecuted in their families. Some are being persecuted in their schools. They're being mocked, maybe spit on or punched. I don't know, Lord, but we pray that you will come and enlarge and strengthen our hearts, and that each of us in the taking of communion will say, my Savior and my God, in Jesus' name, amen.